Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined by my good buddies Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. <laughs> these, these folks debate and deliberate the most ubiquitous aspects of a variety of topics while picking lint off their microphones to prepare for the That's podcast. right. That's right. <laughs> Nothing but the best. Nothing but the best for we you guys. Shall, uh, shall not have was, an untidy microphone. <laughs> it was not. It was not lint. It was gorilla hair. Okay, uh, foreshadowing of the theme, which is the Mount Rushmore of King Kong. Who chose it? This was uh, a Michael Winfield joint. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> Ho- hopefully, hopefully afterwards to be followed by a number of Spike Lee uh, uh, commercials starring um, various <laughs> basketball players uh, with King Kong. <laughs> yeah. I guess, you know, the closest we, we ever got was, um, what was it? Charles Barkley, like uh, uh, having a dunk contest against Godzilla. So that's really, really close. But, you know, <laughs> um no, this was my topic, and uh, because of the aforementioned Godzilla and the, for the last uh, five years, mentioned my son Felix, who had a Godzilla-themed birthday party this last weekend. And uh, this topic came out of the blue, just like Godzilla as a theme for this kid's birthday party came out of the blue. Oh. We're about a month and a half ago, we were like, so what do you want to do? And we were like, okay, this kid's going to choose um, Legos because this is the only thing he talks about or thinks about right now. And he said, Godzilla. And we were like, huh. (laughs) All right. So we got to make that work. (laughs) He's never seen a Godzilla movie. He's uh, his interaction with Godzilla is all of like one kind of 99 cent store, like Godzilla toy that he has like crammed under his bed currently. So like, it was a real adventure to try to like figure out (laughs) what, What's going on there? But anyway, so <laughs> getting to the um, giant uh, hairy monkey of it all, I thought to myself, you know, I'm not a huge Godzilla aficionado, but boy, do I have feelings for that giant ape, Kong. And I thought yeah. um, King Kong has just been caught in our lives for nigh on, God, almost 100 years, 90 something years as like a thing. I mean, obviously for all of our 50 to 43 year old bodies he's been in our lives for that many years but you know for another 50 years before us he's been like this presence in cinema and pop culture and uh has had so many different like adventures and things and just he's just he's so cultural and so identifiable and so like oh my son uh you know knows what king kong is he knows the entire story of king kong and maybe it's because i've told him and shown him the first movie and from 1933 but like i don't know yeah king kong what's not awesome. to love yeah awesome uh okay well look let's just jump right in um so it's a great choice i would say for, for those who uh are binging mount rushmore podcast i know a lot of people do who may have heard the nintendo episode and assuming we were just doing um, Kong related. <laughs> Donkey Kong, King Kong. Yeah. Donkey yes. Kong Jr. <laughs> um, we, we're not. We, uh, we have an area planned, but that uh, we don't make plans here at the Mount Rushmore podcast. So it wasn't planned. So uh, Michael chose it. So Richard starts. All right. First choice are the special effects in the 1933 film of King Kong, the original King Kong. Uh, I am 
just fascinated by what it must have looked like for people in 1933 Mm. when the idea of motion pictures was still a relatively new concept to see this giant ape climbing the Empire State Building. Uh, One of the earliest uses of stop motion uh, animation. Uh, Ray Harryhausen was a uh, a protege of the uh, of the uh, special effects artist who did all of the uh, Kong special effects, and you know, I think it just goes to show. And Michael, let me ask you this: You said you showed the original Kong to uh, to Felix. Yes. What was what were what was his thoughts on the special effects? Did he just think it was cool, or what? What did he think about how it looked? Well, I got to say this: like with young kids you have to start with like an original version of something or else they're never going to go back to it once they've seen like king kong jumping at godzilla holding like an atomic blasted power axe that he is like like to be like (laughs) right oh yeah he kind of he kind of grimaces at you and like pokes at you and like looks at you menacingly with giant bulging eyes like you, you have to kind of bury, you kind of have to burn that like ineffable Kong or early image of whatever. It's the same thing with like Scooby-Doo. I'm going to compare them right away. Is like, I couldn't show him any like new version of Scooby-Doo until he saw like the original yeah. one from 1969 or 1970 or whatever it was. Cause it's like, cause he's never going to go back to that. He's got to get yeah. that. He's got to like imbibe that like original flavor, but like, when he saw it, you know, there's a lot of things in the first one that are, you know, pretty scary, kind of, for like oh, a five-year-old. Yeah. And even though it's in black and white and in stop motion, it's like, I don't know, it's it's a very, uh, you know, interest. It's, it's a very well-done movie for movies only having really existed as a format for, mm-hmm. what, 20-something years with sound yeah. and music and all that whole business. But... Um, so like he believed every minute of it. He didn't be like, he wasn't, he didn't feel like, oh, this isn't real. Mm-hmm. I would say in that film, that film's a good example of, I think Dennis Muren said of practical visual effects versus CG that something like King Kong, uh, feels real, but looks kind of fake but it, there's a feeling of it that you're seeing something that's real. And I would say compared to some of the acting in that film, <laughs> the effects are very <laughs> much more realistic and empath- Kong as a character has some more nuance than I think some of the human performers in it. Uh, is you, is Felix a, a fan of dinosaurs? Cause Kong fucks up some dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. Of course. And, you know, and uh, that'll eventually lead to my, my first, choice as well but you know the special effects were so interesting because like they were doing so much that they were just kind of making it up like dinosaurs are kind of relatively new and i understood that they were like thinking of like just dressing up like uh iguanas and putting them on the set to be like that's what you're going to get for a dinosaur yeah you got an iguana on there like ah close enough like i don't know how many people that had how many people had seen an iguana at that point in their lives moving around on film? Uh, probably mm-hmm. not that many. So like, 
I don't know, you know, when you're just making stuff up as you go, when you're the pioneers of a certain art form, all of it looks like amazing. And like, as Richard said, so like a 1933, I, you know, you're just getting over like dodging a train that was coming after you. So like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not standing oh. there dumbly as the train kind of just slowly approaches you and not knowing whether or not you need to get out of the way because you've never seen something like this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I know sometimes we do some research in this, and but in the Willis O'Brien, the reason those dinosaurs, or at least I guess they're in they're Komodo dragons, is because they were created for another project. And they were kind of left over from that other mm. project, and uh, O'Brien was the first person to go from using essentially claymation or clay models, and then create this uh, armature with this rubberized structure around it. Too, yeah, so there sure was a lot of innovation in there. Yeah, it wasn't just stop, stop motion. I mean, that's the thing that most people remember. But it was really one of the first movies to use matte painting. Is that right? Re- yeah, and rear projection and miniatures. Uh-huh. I mean, it really was this. In order to get the movie to look as good as it did, and like I said, especially for 1933, there there were just so many unique techniques that had to be basically invented from scratch. I mean, you don't have a playbook to go off of. You're mm-hmm. literally inventing the playbook for how to do special effects. Yeah. In a movie. Sure. It's the, um, it's like the star Wars of it all, you know, like 50 years yeah. later, like, you know, uh, George Lucas couldn't make this film with the technology that they had with what he wanted to capture in his mind. So they just had to literally invent it as they were making it, which is like, outstanding it's like incredible to think that like oh yeah well we can't do this well we've got to invent a new camera to do all this stuff and we've got to figure out how this can it can't look how it has looked because i don't want that i want something new it's like i i don't think that guy gets enough credit you know i think he really uh took a beating for like the prequel stuff but i think he doesn't get enough credit for just like oh yeah movies aren't what they are without him as a person pushing things forward and i'm sure it was like that in the 30s when they were just like okay well we have these fantastic ideas for monsters and uh, just putting like a fake fin on the back of a iguana or komodo dragon it just isn't going to cut it we gotta it's gotta have life yeah yeah cool so yeah i definitely think if you think of how were the visual effects to not be effective then there's no movie because yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, right. There's nothing there. There's no Are, spectacle. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, Winfield, what's your first choice? So I'll stay with the 1933 movie, and I'll stay with the spectacle um, and the animation. Is there's a moment uh, in King Kong when he's fighting a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and after he like defeats the T-Rex by wrestling it to the ground after a really extensive, it like, it takes forever. Like you're like watching these, you know, claymation things like fight each other. And then like the animators take a moment to have the King Kong, like fiddle with like the T-Rex's jaw after he breaks it. And it's like, wow, like uh, totally unnecessary. Yeah. Like he kills this thing and then totally unnecessary. There's just like this little animation where he's like, wiggling the jaw back and forth to make sure it's dead. And then he moves on to, you know, uh, to picking up um, and Darrow. And it's like, oh, this is, this is what they should teach. This is what animation eventually becomes. This is what like a character, like this is him as a character. Mm-hmm. Like he's more than just like, a, you know, a man in a gorilla suit fighting 
a man in a lizard suit. He like the people that animated it and put it together had these such intentions to make this character be curious, to be uh, very human. To, I mean, even almost animalistic or human, I guess, is even even better to be like uh, he fiddles with this thing's mouth after he destroys yeah. it. Yeah, he's just like, yeah. uh, and then he like moves along. He realizes it's dead, and it's just like King Kong is a, as much as he's like this, you know, monster, he's a very human monster. And I think it's very different from Godzilla as a monster who, at least at first in the first, you know, 40 something years or 50 years of Godzilla as a movie, he goes in, he stomps in and terrorizes. And I don't know, maybe he does mm-hmm. a little like jump kick dance thing with his son or <laughs> whatever the hell that is. Maybe, yeah. you know, in 1992, he dunks on uh, yeah. Charles Barkley with shades on. But like before that, he was like this thing that lumbered across the screen and knocked down buildings and mm-hmm. got shot by whatever. But King Kong from the get go had these weird little like human interaction moments that came out of like, I don't know, an, uh, uh, a puppeteer's imagination of like, who is this person as a character? And I think like you said a few minutes ago, Jeff, like without these sorts of things, this, uh, the movies don't work. Yeah. And we don't have, it's setting us up for maybe it's part of somebody's answer, but some, some sorrow at the end when this, this monster is destroyed. Um, I don't know if Frankenstein had come out already then, but we see these monsters that are uh, either summoned to a place they don't belong or created and then trapped in cities and places where the, uh, nature doesn't exist and then just tortured <laughs> and hor- treated horribly. I do wonder, does it help that he has a primate face that we can look Kong in the eye and see ourselves a little bit more so than, uh, Gojira, <laughs> you know, you know, you can't really relate to this. Oh, guy. for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. There's, there's an emotion there. There's a humanity there for what's what it's worth. It's never felt with Godzilla. Like I think that in the kind of later versions of Godzilla and the, the ones that came out in the last uh, five or six years or even longer, they've tried to make him like this defender of humanity, this kind of thing yeah. that arises out of the earth to defend the earth from mm-hmm. Uh, other obstacles but like i don't know godzilla's cool but i don't care about him that much yeah yeah okay uh man freddy what's your second one all right you we've been talking about godzilla as an ancillary sort of thing to king kong so let's just get right to it king kong versus godzilla the 1962 uh version the uh kaiju film that i didn't i did some research on this and apparently it was uh, based on a story outline that Willis O'Brien had. Oh, wow. Where Kong was supposed to be battling a giant Frankenstein-type monster. Oh. Um, <laughs> and uh, he gave it to a producer, and the producer went and behind O'Brien's back sold it to Toho Studios, where they decided where they'd always wanted to do a King Kong movie. So they said, well, King Kong, Godzilla, two, like, two great... Two, Two great tastes that taste great together. What could go wrong? <laughs> and it's great. It's fantastic. And it does solve the question, who would win in a battle between King Kong and Godzilla? The answer is, it's, at least we know it's not Godzilla. Yeah. Because, spoiler alert, into the movie, they get into a huge fight, go tumble into the ocean, and only Godzilla comes out. Mm. Or only King Kong comes out. I'm sorry. 
Uh, Godzilla stays underwater where maybe he's been killed mm-hmm. or maybe mm-hmm. we'll see him again. <laughs> Hard to say, but it, it's one of the more enjoyable of the original sort of non, you know, the sixties the Kaiju uh, Godzilla films. And I think it's just neat. It's boy to be a, to be someone who was into those movies or be just, you know, a, a movie goer back in, in the sixties, that must've been like seeing Stone Cold and the rock wrestling each <laughs> <Yeah>. other. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, you know, Hulk Hogan versus the rock, these two generational talents kind of clashing with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing makes, you know, I... go yeah. ahead. No, you go no, ahead. I have a dumb, I have a dumb joke. Go ahead. Oh well, I'm I'm here you, for it. You have a you have a point. I have a joke, so go ahead. Okay, um, it made ten million dollars in the box office off of a budget of about four hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Wow, this thing was a big hit, and those those Toho Studio movies always made money. I think we look at the Godzilla movies and we kind of scoff at them, but we forget that they were legitimate money-making hit movies back in the sixties and adding Kong to that, you know, it's, it's interesting that Kong had been sidelined as a character for so long. And when he does come back, he comes back as essentially, uh, I don't want to say second fiddle to another monster, because it is King Kong versus Godzilla and they are treated on equal footing and King Kong does sort of win the battle. But it's definitely in God set in Godzilla's world. So I think it's interesting to kind of take this iconic character and you just drop him into another character's world and kind of see what happens. Well, I think it was part of the like the peace agreement that they signed with Japan in 19, yes. uh, you know, 45, 45. <laughs> if, if they ever were to introduce a giant monster gorilla, uh, into, uh, the world <laughs> that if they were ever to, to feature against, uh, you know, a giant, uh, uh, you know, irradiated monster, uh, from the Japanese world that the American monster, the American generated monster would win. So they just had to, they just had to eat it at some point. I wonder if that. So, had there been any films in between? Do we? There was. There, son, there been, was. Yeah, there was Son of Kong. Okay, but that probably came, came out. That probably came out right away. Like that must have been like, oh, well, King Kong's ahead. We got to get Son of Kong out by nineteen thirty-four or something. It like came that. out mm-hmm. in thirty-three. Came out the same year as, as King <laughs> Kong did. So. Oh, that's incredible. And was that a prolonged custody battle? That was a movie about a custody battle between King Kong and. And Mrs. Kong. Oh, you're thinking Kong versus Kong. Kong, Kong versus yeah. Kramer versus Kong. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I was thinking about um, the television uh, in the '50s and the introduction of like the shock theater package to uh, to um, TV stations and things like that, and how yeah, '57 by '57, some of these old black and white films with you know, Frankenstein and the mummy and Dracula were all coming back. And these characters were kind of now symbols for fear and horror. And, and uh, so it's kind of cool that the Kaiju kind of came back swinging <laughs> there with the, but bring, I, I would, I would think I would imagine King Kong was to audiences 
of that era a little bit more similar to maybe, I don't know, Frankenstein and the Mummy. It seems like stylistically it's more similar to those films, but uh, definitely different than the genre of, of kaiju, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, Winfield, what's your second one? Uh, my second choice is the Gary Larson Far Side series of like <laughs> King Kong cartoons, which had become like kind of basically like the um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the word for it, but basically this is how I know what King Kong is <laughs> was you know not a movie that had uh, you know come out 50 years before I was ever born, but basically like the images of like King Kong as told as a joke. Uh, through like a number of like like far side cartoons because you know between 1933 with i guess son of kong there was like you know and the uh godzilla versus kong he didn't really appear again until the 1970s and is that right richard jeff do you know i think that he had gone like almost 40 years or something like that without really making a a big splash of an appearance Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm the Kong of my memory is like this big, just dopey gorilla as displayed, like in a Gary Larson cartoon is told as a joke. <laughs> yeah. It's either that, or it's like the image of uh, him on the universal studios tour, like tearing the tram apart. But like even more so, I think of like an outline, like a big tape outline of uh, King Kong, like, by the Empire State Building, as if they yeah. had, like taped off the body, or the taped off bodies underneath the taped off body of mm-hmm. uh, King Kong, or <laughs> uh, my favorite is just like uh, you know this city that's been destroyed, that's on fire, and uh, a bunch of police detectives trying to figure out who did this, and there's like a <laughs> like a handkerchief with like the initials KK and embroidered on it, and like Gary Larson, you know he captures everything perfectly and always have but like king kong for me has always been like this weird monster that's always been like this also the strange joke mostly because he really other than being like the classic monster wasn't in my life as a like a real thing mm-hmm. in any way he was always like a cartoon he was always like a he was just like a giant silly gorilla and i think that um there's been a lot of efforts in the last, uh, you know, probably what, 25 years to turn him back into like a fearsome beast and this gruesome thing. But it I seems don't know, like for it, the most of my life, he was just like kind of a cartoon. Yeah, uh, that's funny to hear you say that because it seems like that definitely happened over decades with the universal monsters as they turned into Halloween decorations and there were baby, <laughs> and baby cereals. versions, yeah. cereals and things like that. They became... Uh, you know, it became entertainment and silliness. And yeah, as a kid, I do remember the kind of goofy King. It seems like in my dad's Playboy, there might be some some lurid version of King Kong or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only other the only other version of King Kong I remember was like a joke in a dirty, like, uh, uh, like I had like a kid's joke book that was like, uh-huh. uh, the punchline ultimately with this person coming back and saying like uh king kong's balls i thought you said ping pong balls or or the reverse of that (laughs) like that's it like king kong from like 1933 to like 1976 (laughs) he had 50 years of just like being turned into like 
a cartoon a joke. <laughs> yeah. Okay, dudes, we are at our halftime, and um, uh, you folks, you can hear we're running out of ideas. Um, come on. I mean, we're at King Kong last week with Donkey Kong. Before that was like, uh, come on. You, you got to help us out. Uh, message us. Uh, this is an intervention between you and us, an idea intervention. So go on to the Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram. Just type in any random words you can think of. <laughs> and we'll accept that as a suggestion for a topic. Um, but uh, while you're doing that, go out and download, rate, and review past episodes. Um, search King Kong. We may have done this topic before. I don't know. Maybe we have, or something <laughs> like it, or maybe just big monkeys. Uh, probably, probably have. So we we'd appreciate if you wouldn't mind sharing this podcast with other people, and uh, want to also promote my ship story podcast, which is Ooh. a uh, collab. Um, we one of our hosts here has done that podcast recently, and. Um, they are a lot of fun and they tell great stories if you've ever been on a cruise ship maybe you worked on a cruise ship and wondered about the inside scoop about how those operate and what zany things happen the my ship story podcast digs deep and shares a lot of fun stories about that so we're back it's going to be manfredi's third cool third choice uh it is the a scene in the 2005 Peter Jackson film, King Kong. Oh. <laughs> now, I more or less enjoyed Peter Jackson's King Kong. I think it was almost impossible for it to live up to the hype that everyone had in their head about it. About the Lord of the guy who tamed Lord of the Rings and was able to find a way to take this unfilmable book series and actually film it and make it incredible. How was he, what was he going to do with King Kong? And I think it, it's, it, it, it was a victim of its own expectations in a lot of ways. I think on its own, it's a pretty good movie. There is one scene in it though, that is just ridiculous. I'm and so excited to figure out what I'm yeah. in my head. I'm running through like half a dozen scenes that like, I, uh, I'm so excited to hear what you say. Uh, it is the scene after Kong has wrecked the theater and has started rampaging through New York looking for Anne Darrow. And he finds her. And then they wind up going ice skating. <laughs> With a nice romantic date ice skating. Which brings up several questions. He is being chased by the police, the army, the National Guard, God knows who else at this point. And they just lose him? For about 10 minutes. And in that time, everyone involved thinks, you know what would be great? Should we keep running from everybody? Now let's stop and have a skate. (laughs) Now I get it. It's meant to show the humanity in Kong. It's meant to show that he's more human than, than many humans would be. Yeah. Um, but it's patently fucking ridiculous. And it just takes you out of the movie. It's, like suddenly a scene from a John Cusack rom-com mm. got spliced yeah. into King Kong and they just swapped CGI Cusack out with a giant, a giant ape, which probably doesn't take that much work, but it, the whole thing just absolutely. I remember watching in the theater and it just sort of 
you could see everyone kind of looking around like, <laughs> is this happening? Because this, this is weird. Yeah. He did, so that, yeah, he, he didn't. He didn't need to complete a successful like triple sow cow, which is no, right. Like that was just he did not. I mean, to the degree of difficulty mm-hmm. that a gigantic ape could have done that, which is amazing, and with given his weight, but to to land it perfectly with the flourish. Yeah. I'm a little surprised that the rental shop had skates his size. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you're totally right. I mean, I this movie is uh, beloved to me in a certain way because I think it combines such an amazing sense of like strange, like body horror and mm. or like creature horror and uh, uh, romance and. Uh, heartbreak, which we'll get to my next pick, but um, yeah, you know, I think it's, I think it is like, it was like a bloated moment of like, uh, just, just a little too much, just, yeah. just too much, just like pull that back. It doesn't, it doesn't make, like, Anne cares for this creature. You don't also need her to like, eh, have a flirty moment with him too. Mm-hmm. The 1985 Godzilla hmm. had rollerblading in it in that <laughs> same scene. So at that time, I kind of thought, well, this is dated. Ro- rollerblading is not going to be a thing forever. So, uh, but I could so I could see why Peter Jackson had the had the balls to do that because he thought he well, I'm, I'm improving upon that. Do do you don't think that um, just that uh, I I could see how we're from a from a directorial pacing standpoint. Peter Jackson maybe thought we need a break here. We need a pause sure. because yeah. this is the tragedy. We know the ape's going to die or we know some bad shit's going to happen, but yeah, ice skating is uh, pretty, pretty ridiculous. I mean, at that point, at that point, you know, King Kong, he's big in the movie. Like in the first uh, King Kong, he's like 18 feet tall. Mm-hmm. Although he kind of, fluctuates in size by the time he's fighting godzilla he's 100 feet tall or however big godzilla is then you kind of bring him back and i think in um the peter jackson one he's 20 something feet tall um i don't know 20 something feet tall is big and it is gigantic for a gorilla i don't know my apartment building's like 20 something feet tall we're only two stories Mm -hmm. it's I could see how a gorilla could get lost within a gigantic city like New York, especially when, you know, hey, they're following a banana trail the other way or whatever. Mm-hmm. I assume. <laughs> I assume, you know. Cause... The most ridiculous, there was a couple things. There was some side story with a, with a ship, um, a man on the ship who was like a worker. They had some weird, I don't know, it's like some little intriguing moment that they never followed up on. Right. But, um, for me, the weirdest part was, so Jack Black's character is kind of a director or something going there to look for something sensational for his movie. And at one point, I remember them running past dinosaurs to get to King Kong. Like, <laughs> stop. There's dinosaurs. Film yeah. the dinosaurs. Those are awesome. You got dinosaurs. Yeah, I think, I, I think if given the choice between seeing a dinosaur or a 20-foot tall ape, I yeah. would choose the dinosaur. You're right. Yeah, the, we got those. They're smaller than that one, but we got them. 
I've seen it. I've seen gorillas yeah. before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I more well, or less know what they look like. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Michael Winfield, and is this going to be grape ape or like a cartoon? McGilla yes. gorilla. McGilla gorilla. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, since you mentioned the dinosaurs, uh, I'll come. I'll come back to my last point later. But um, just the entire concept of Skull Island as this kind of. Um, hidden hmm. island that has been away from man or uh, mankind that has developed its own unique uh you know flora and fauna that is all dangerous that has these giant beasts that has dinosaurs that has giant gorillas that has you know poisonous plants that'll kill you that has um the entire like ecosystem around this island that is surrounded by fog, that is surrounded by like dangerous reefs that you can, can't get to, that you need a treasure map to get to, that that idea that uh, these beings can exist or fight for survival amongst themselves uh, on this uh, tremendous island in the mid Atlantic or South Pacific or whichever ocean it's in is just tremendous. That like i think that at some point in the 1930s i you know mankind had almost realized or the filmmakers had realized there's nothing more to discover we can circumnavigate the globe we can fly airplanes around the globe we can almost go anywhere we the world has been discovered there's not much more to do but what if there's this island that no one has discovered and on that island mm-hmm. is this giant... I, I think that idea, the idea of Skull Island is um, just phenomenal. I think the treasure map to get there is outstanding. And I um, I don't know, just like the, the place that's out of time that can feature dinosaurs, that can feature giant animals of every sort is just perfectly wild. And I think that... Um, the mystery and the intrigue behind it all is um, just a fantastic uh, conception by everyone around. Yeah, that is a fun thing. It almost seems like a little bit late to be kind of inspired by like the Darwin and HMS Beagle and the journeys there, but almost feels like it's kind of of a, uh, a fantastical components of a, of another era. Isn't there sci-fi like, island at the top of the world or it seems like uh, going to the the center of the world to find exotic beasts there's elements of that i know in like the 1970s or early 80s they had like you know um x-men comics kind of had their um uh oh what was the name of the i gotta think of of the place that they went to it'll come to me in a second but you know there was like this you know a hidden island amongst antarctica yeah uh the savage land where like kazar was or like there are places that are far removed from man but still um are somehow accessible if you just kind of search hard enough and of course on that an island i mean it seems like that a giant gorilla how big is this island it's to be so big that it can contain a you know 40 foot tall gorilla but so small that mm-hmm. it can still go unseen or unnoticed by the powers that be seems um I don't know, just fascinating. And and as someone that draws dopey islands with his son too, I'm going to bring it back <laughs> to Felix. It draws like, we draw like treasure maps and draw dangers on there and draw nonsense. Like, uh, how come we haven't drawn a giant gorilla yet? Mm-hmm. Is, Kong, is Kong always the cop of that island? Is he always the guy 
who's oh, regularly no. no all gorillas are bad a g a b maybe yeah. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> oh my god I no, I was just... <laughs> there was a shooting on the island guess who ran the other way yeah oh that's <laughs> oh, oh, sorry boy. Cli- not funny yeah, he climbed to the top climbed <laughs> to the top of the mountain and just hid like a coward oh, apologies oh, we lost uh, we lost three listeners we lost our listener just, yeah that's the end of it okay uh man Freddy, what's your last choice uh conveniently enough it is the movie kong skull island okay the 2000 what year was that made 2017 17. and it's Good. delightful. That's my yeah. main point I wanted to make behind it. If you haven't seen it, if you thought it looked like a really silly movie, if you, when it came out, you thought, this is not for me, do yourself a favor. Go find it on streaming and rent it or view it or whatever you have, have to do to see it. Because it's a treasure of a movie. Um, I think they do an exceptional job of telling the Kong origin story because that's essentially what this this is in the larger picture of the they call it the monster verse the new yeah. monster verse that they're creating with with kong and uh yeah, godzilla they, and rodan they came and they tried to stop the trade routes going to kong island and then the two jedi came over and yes had to prevent that and then it led to the <laughs> war yeah but it's got a it's got a great cast Got Tom Hiddleston, Brie Larson, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, John Goodman, uh, John C. Riley. Yeah. Um, so it's got this like kind of sneaky great cast, and it's just the action scenes work. Uh, you get a sense for Kong's humanity, which is I think always one of the most important aspects of a good Kong movie. <laughs> um, you have a clearly defined bad guy which you don't always have in the Kong movies, but this one is pretty clear that Samuel L. Jackson's yeah. batshit crazy uh, army general or whatever he is, is is the bad guy in this movie. Um, And it looks great. It won a, it, or it received an Oscar nomination for best visual effects and it should have. It looks fantastic. And I just, I remember watching it when my, cause my son Simon started getting into Godzilla and Kong and things like that. And we sat down and watched it on TV one day. I'd, I had completely missed it when it came out. I was one of those people who just thought, uh, this is not for me. Same here. Same here. And we sat down and watched it. And I was just like, this is really good. I think it was better than the Peter Jackson King Kong movie. Certainly I'd rewatch it. Yeah. I have rewatched it several times and I haven't rewatched the Peter Jackson King Kong. I think it. I think it. It did a better job of balancing the the action with the non-action scenes. Mm-hmm. I don't I know. Think, I just think it's great. I think it does some. Well, for me, the uh, kind of movie within the movie is John C. Riley. Seems like the uh-huh. just kind of let him roll on long on some things where he is doing some comedy character moments that are kind of hilarious it's almost like his characters that he plays in in will ferrell movies this uh a person who's really frazzled beyond (laughs) understanding of the world around him or like when um 
Dewey Cox uh, does acid. Yeah. <laughs> he's kind of that guy. Is he, he's talking to another person and he kind of in the middle of the conversation questions if, if he's actually talking out loud or if he's talking to himself. Yeah. There's a little bit of Dr. Steve Brule in yeah. his, uh, yeah. his yeah. performance here, yeah. but it works. I think one thing that that film benefits from is a little bit of tonal mimicry. Like um, uh, in a couple of moments, it's apocalypse now. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's every Vietnam or it's platoon or if it's every Vietnam film you've ever seen, um, which like the Joker kind of did that too. You know, sometimes it's Taxi Driver, mm. sometimes it's uh-huh. King of Comedy. So, I think that uh, film kind of benefited from some of that. Sure, too, which you don't see that much in those kind of kind of movies. And also, I, Samuel L. Jackson has played villains before, um, but even in something like was it the big blue or there's some, the, he, now he's in the big monkey movie, but he, or the big ape movie. He was in the big shark movie before. Oh, you know? deep, deep blue sea. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which gets me to one day, uh, we have to record the, uh, Mount Rushmore of, uh, ending theme songs that also sum up the movie as they are singing the end credits. Oh, it's a long title. LL Cool J. That was yeah. an LL Cool J jam. And that is probably like my number one, uh, a song with a, my hand is like a shark's fin <laughs> <laughs> that basically takes everything that you saw on screen, puts it into a rap song yeah, and has a ridiculous, uh, you know, uh, chorus uh, yeah. throughout the entire thing. But we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. Did Ice Cube have something similar for Anaconda? I'm looking that up right now. <laughs> oh, please look it up because um, Adam's family groove is up there and um, Wild Wild West. Does he do that? In the Wild yeah, Wild we'll West? get that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, wrap it up, Mr. Winfield. Well, my last choice um, is the kind of the heartbreaking death of King Kong in the Peter Jackson 2005 movie. Now, maybe I have more affection for this movie than you, Richard, but um, all the setup for Kong throughout this movie, I think, was so very effective, even though you, you knew it was coming the entire time. And I think that's one thing that the kind of uh, legendary monster verse kaiju verse whatever um king kong godzilla things have is these characters probably aren't ever going to die right like king kong's going to go on godzilla's going to go on they're going to fight each other they're going to go on to fight other things and the universe is going to expand but the king kong movie that peter jackson told um has an ending to this character and in spite of the like kind of super hokey ice skating scene, they really set up like a, a humanity and a sadness and like an impact for this character throughout the movie. He's this kind of, you know, he's kind of this old boomer on this island <laughs> that's sitting there. He's the last of his kind. He's so sad. He's alone. He meets this woman that, uh, I don't know, he's eaten all the others. They're all dead. <laughs> like everyone else that's been presented to him is like, I don't know, not that interesting. And this other, this, uh, this other woman comes along and tries to entertain him. And by the end of the movie, like he falls off the thing and she's genuinely sad for him. She's come to like some sort of kind of like Stockholm syndrome kind of sort of relationship with him that mm-hmm. like, oh, this guy is my capture, but my cap uh, is the person that's captured me. Yeah. Like, oh my God. I feel bad that he's dead now. I mean, all he was just a giant monkey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I think they just captured 
captured the end of it so well in spite of like the super hokey line that's tagged on the end that I think doesn't work. It's strange how it doesn't work. Like at the end of the first King Kong, um, the someone says it, you know, it wasn't beauty that killed the beast or it wasn't the fall that mm-hmm. killed the beast. It was the beauty. And I think they tagged it on the end as well. It's like, I know what you're going for, but it, I almost wish they didn't say it because yeah. you, because it was built up through the rest of the moon. It was built up through the rest of the movie. Like you could have just said, they could have had like an abbreviated version of that or some sort of, uh, I don't know. They could mm-hmm. have signaled it without actually saying it, but it was sad. I, I, I remember feeling genuinely sad to see this monster that I knew was going to die and be shot and multiple times be shot down by airplanes because, you know, he was kind of, terrorizing the city and what what, what were they going to do with him he's just this giant animal they were going to do anything with him also the scene where they cut him up at the end and you know feed all the starving people of new york unnecessary <laughs> they, yeah. did, they did not need to show like the production line where they're just you know all these little orphans and yeah street vagabonds are eating pieces of gorilla meat for you know, the next year and a half that got him through the great depression. But <laughs> um, I don't know. It was just uh, the pathos at the end. I just, it still really affects me. Like it's one of those weird, it's one of those movies that like, it's hard for me to watch that. And it's hard for me to watch uh, the end of uh, the Royal Tenenbaums where they come hmm. to like some sort of understanding with like the father and son moment. Yeah. I don't know. Those two movies from 1990, 2005. And I don't know. Well, that's pretty whenever interesting. World Tangenbaum's hit. It does seem like that was the goal of the filmmaker the entire time. Like if you if I can humanize this character and make you feel empathy for for them, then I've succeeded. And I think of how well Peter Jackson did that with um some characters in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um like Gollum. I felt sorry for the dude. He, he was he was a bastard, <laughs> but uh, I could really empathize with his plight. So yeah, I think Jackson had been really good at making relatable characters. I would, I will say one thing that really peeved me, took me out of that Mm. movie was Jack black. Like I just wasn't ready for him. I wasn't sure if he was being comedic. I think you're right. I think you're entirely right. He, you know, Jack, I think Jack black was just riding a high at that point that they needed someone to be like this big kind of like, you know, New York Hollywood director guy that was, wouldn't stop at anything. And, uh, I could see that being cast 10 different yeah. ways and feeling exactly this, uh, just as gratified. And or, now that or, I think or, about Charles Grodin was in the 76 King Kong. I yeah. Think. Which we didn't talk about for no. obvious, for many reasons. <laughs> I don't, but, I don't know uh, if I've seen it. I don't, it's one of those movies that I've, I maybe I've seen, but I have no like real great memory of, but maybe that's the 19, that's the, you know, universal ride it, uh, Universal Studios. That's the only version yeah. I know of it was like, oh, that movie or whatever. Yeah. I think there was a rights. At, well, speaking of Universal, I think there was like a Dana Gould has a great uh, blog series called The Cinemorph where he talks about the origins of that film. And uh, somehow Paramount had like rights to a novelization, Universal had rights to the movie. And yeah, and Dino, they, Dino De Laurentiis, I read a little bit about this, uh, looking at this, like there was a big court battle over like how Qu- King Kong could be portrayed in that uh, he was in like the um, 
Oh, what's the thing? Uh, the he had to be southern, speak with a a drawl. <laughs> he had a he had a really big corn uh, a, a wheat corn cob wheat, stalk, wheat stalk sticking out of his mouth. No, like um, uh, he was in like the public domain, basically oh, yeah. as a character, but he wasn't in the public domain as things that have been portrayed on the screen. Hmm. So okay. there's a lot of like rights of like, well, you can have a, you can create any King Kong story, but he can't do the things he can't climb. Uh, oh uh, yeah. The empire state building. Oh, okay. Which I think is why he climbed the, um, you know, the uh, twin towers, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. He can only like it was things like that. that they're like, uh, <laughs> or go ice skating, but you're not going to do that. Are you? Who <laughs> <laughs> would do that? What a stupid idea. Oh man. All right, so let's rate some. Uh, um, you know, this yeah, has been fun to talk about this. Um, uh, I, I would love to just kind of honor the uh, innovation of well, Willis O'Brien by choosing the special effects of the film as something to uh, call out, and then um, I I love the I the acknowledgement that um, yeah, for a while as a kid. Uh, Kong was a joke. He was just kind of this goofy uh, cartoon thing. So let's go with Gary Larson. And Kong Skull Island was a great film that kind of brought him back uh, into the fold. So let's go with that. And since we were all talking about it, um, and since he's kind of a, I think, a big, big part of modern cinema, let's just go with Peter Jackson the the film in general but specifically the kind of the emotional dana ma at the end dana ma how has she been i haven't talked to her in a while i think we played kick, kick, yeah we played kickball with her right Did we? Dana ma? Okay. Really <laughs> all right uh, this has been the mount rushmore of king kong i'm always jeff i'm richard i'm michael oh thanks guys